Welcome to Pocono Mountains Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Hamill. This is Season 3, Episode 4, and we're back on the farm again. Chris Barrett spent last summer on a few farms in Wayne County, learning about the history and practices of farming in the northern Poconos. Each farm is a little bit different. We have a third part of our three-part series on farming in Wayne County, this time at a dairy farm known for its artisan cheese. More on that in a bit. The Poconos is a year-round destination for millions, with 2,400 square miles of lakes, mountains, forests, and rivers, with iconic family resorts and historic downtowns. It's the perfect getaway. You can always find out more on PoconoMountains.com or watch PTN, the Pocono Television Network, streaming live 24-7. Thanks for listening to Pocono Mountains Podcast. We'll have a new episode each week, highlighting lots of the fun things you can experience while you're visiting the Poconos. Subscribe and leave a review and or comment on whatever platform you listen. Now back to the episode. Last month, Chris Barrett featured by Lecky Farms on Pocono Perspectives. Now he's visiting Highland Farm, which is a dairy farm with the award-winning Calkins Creamery. It's all part of the agri-legacy that Wayne County has held over the years and into the future. Enjoy. This farm is a dairy farm, but you also have a creamery, right? So right. before we before we started the interview, we really were talking a little bit about um, how that's a little bit different. So, and then you talked a little bit about how you had successions of, of, uh, of barns here and all those kind of things. Can you tell us just a little bit of the history of, of your farm, which is really neat? The farm uh, started in the 1840s by uh, my great-great-grandfather. His name was Asel Dan. He was the original owner. Um, the original deeds go back to a guy named Shields, who was an agent for William Penn's sons. Uh, so, you know, that's where it goes back. We were, they basically cleared the land here in the 1840s, 1850s. You, you could trace this back to William Penn. Well, wow, that's amazing. Penn, Penn's sons owned big tracts of land in eastern Pennsylvania. Eventually, land agents divvied it out, like, like a big chunks of Wayne County. So the cows really didn't come until late 1800s. And that's when my great-grandfather married Dan's daughter, and the farm became a Bryant farm, and not a Dan farm. Burton's son, Dwayne, took over, and then he started in with the cows. And he was like one of the earliest people in the area to have purebred Holstein cows. We, we have a certificate in the house where he uh, he became a member of the Holstein Association. Then my father, his name was Donald, um, he was the youngest of Dwayne's children. So Donald takes over the farm next. I came back in the 70s and uh, formed a partnership with my father and we farmed together till he passed away. And then I, I took over um, in the late 80s. And then we had a barn fire in 2002, so we camped out at a neighboring farm for a year while the new barn was built. Then my son, Zach, decided to come back, and uh, then we formed, formed a partnership, and that's how we're operating today. up in the morning in this great blue state golden finger 
So we're here at Highland Farms with Bill Bryan, and he's been telling us a lot of great things about how long the farm has been here, what it's like to have a dairy farm. There's a creamery on property, which is really, really cool. Um, so Bill, if we could, I wanted to kind of get back a little bit to, we were just, we were talking a little bit about the cows. How many cows are you milking now, and are they all Holsteins? We have about 100 milk cows now. They're primarily registered Holsteins, although we do have a token amount of crossbreeds uh, that have some Jersey in them. They all have Holstein in their pedigree, but they, for some one reason or another, a cow got bred to a different breed. And what's the difference between the other breeds on Holsteins? Are, are they better cows for milk? Is there a better quality? Or? Well, Holstein is, is the predominant breed in the United States. Uh, they used to have a slogan that they fit the farm, fit the market. Um, they're, you know, they're a bigger cow, they give a lot of milk, and they, they just kind of like took over. But the other breeds are called the protein breeds, Jerseys, Ashers, Guernseys, Brown Swiss. They usually give less milk, but they have higher butter fat and higher protein. But what we've done here is we've bred the Halsteins to high protein, high butter fat bulls. So we have butter fat and protein that approaches that of the colored breeds. Because if you're gonna make cheese, you need protein and butter fat because you get more cheese out of the milk. Then. How many gallons do you produce a day? And you have to milk them every day, right? They probably produce 700 gallon a day. We have machines. We're not as automated as you can be, but we have an around, around the barn pipeline. And then we, we hang the milker on the line and uh, it goes directly into the tank. Uh, goes up into a stainless steel line and then flows around the barn and goes into the tank. How often do they have to be milked? The well, cow? they have to be milked at least twice a day. Oh, wow. Some places milk three times a day. So I want to test too, you have a creamery. How did that happen? How did that all happen? Our daughter, who was living in California at the time, working in the food industry, and her husband was in the food industry too, weren't real thrilled about living in California. Once she got here, I think it was kind of in the back of her head that wanted to do a creamery. The question was whether she was going to do ice cream or what she was going to do. And the creamery was built in 2006, the first cheese made in 2007. And the cheese just like took right off. Uh, people would say, well, what did you do to market it? And we did nothing to market it. It was wow. all word, word of mouth. mouth. The difference between a craft produced cheese and your artisan cheeses, what, what is the biggest difference? probably everything, but. First of all, the milk can't be any fresher than it is. Um, they, they're taking it right from the tank almost as soon as the cows make it and making cheese out of it. So it has, it has no chance to deteriorate. So you got fresh, fresh milk to begin with. Everything is more natural and uh, it's just a different kind of a cheese. So is uh, the cheeses that are sold here, are they sold anywhere in, in the market in stores or do you have to come here to get it? A small percentage is sold here because we're really off of the beaten path. You you got to want cheese pretty bad to find us. Uh, the UPS truck comes in every day and takes a shipment of cheese. And then one week, um, a small van goes to Philadelphia. The next week, the van goes to New Jersey, New York City. In New York City, you know, a lot of high-end restaurants use our cheese. And they go through a, like a broker. A, a distributor down there. But most of the cheese though is sold through small shops and stuff. What's the most popular cheese? We had three dogs here and every time somebody came to the creamery, uh, the dogs would greet them. So they named one of the cheeses uh, Three Dog Dill. 
and yeah, that's a pretty popular cheese. But uh, but we have we have the hard cheese spreads. Uh, oh, wow. We have a farmer's cheese that's kind of like a kind of like a cottage cheese that people make cream cheese things out of, and we we make dips out of it. And that one actually just won a big third place in a big competition in uh, Wisconsin. Oh wow! So, in Wisconsin, wow. Yeah. She's got some first places with the cheese and uh, like. In, in national and international competitions. So. Wow. But we do a lot of different cheeses, which is kind of different than um, s other small creameries, maybe concentrate on two or three cheeses, but we, we have a, a pretty broad spectrum. One thing that is funny with the seasons is when the cows go out to grass in the spring, the taste of the, some of the cheeses can change because the cows are eating the fresh grass. Oh, wow. They go out all summer, but when the grass is lush, like the end of April, 1st of May, the the milk actually gets a yellower color to it and the cheese, and it changed the flavor of the cheese. So the one, the one cheese, go back to the seasonal thing, a funny one is we make a cheese called Vampire Slayer, <laughs> which is a, a cheese that has garlic in it. And it's, so I like hang it. it around my neck, it's right? A, it's a good cheese. <laughs> but. She has a problem with that in October, keeping the cheese shops supplied in New Jersey because they all buy it for Halloween. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh for like Halloween parties and stuff. Yeah. That's really neat. So in the in the winter, do you feed them hay? Um, in the winter, the cows get, uh, well, all year long, e even when they're out on grass, they get supplemented with something called a total mixed ration. Uh, we take all the ingredients the cows eat and mix it together. So every bite they take, they're getting a nutritionally balanced uh, oh, wow. diet. And all year long, we feed silage, corn silage, which is the corn stalk and the ear ground up. Do, do you grow some of that here, the corn? Corn, yeah, we grow the corn. We grow that silage here. We feed- Silage, I'm sorry, what does that mean? Silage is, it's ensiled. It's uh, gone through the fermentation process. Oh. And it, it, it ferments and that preserves it. Early in the spring, we chop the grass and put that in a silo or a, what they call an egg bag, a, a big plastic tube. So we feed a lot of that all year, but we do put up a lot of dry hay and every day they get dry hay, but, but that's not, in the old days, that was pretty much their entire diet. But now we've supplemented it with other, other kinds of, they're get, still getting the grass, but it's in a different form. Bill, how's, farming, well I should say I was dairy farming, right? How has that changed in the last 20 years? I was born in 1950, and in 1950, this township, which is, it's called Damascus Township, Wayne County, there were more dairy cows in this township than any township east of the Mississippi River. And there were probably 2,000 dairy farms. I mean, when I, when I grew up, every place on the road, there, was, there were dairy cows. And, and nationally, this is a good statistic too. I just read this the other day. In the past five years, half the dairy farms in the United States have disappeared. Gone from 60,000 to 30,000 in the last five years. Is it, go, is it uh, conglomerates that are dairy farming now? or Those small farms have gone out of business and the whole dairy industry has moved to the Southwest. It kind of blows my mind because they say they, say they can't afford to send a milk truck around to pick up milk at these small farms that are widely dispersed, but yet they're willing to make all the dairy products in the Southwest 
and truck them all the way across the United States to the market on the East Coast. But, but it kind of all boils down to technology. Uh, there's a lot of technology out there. So to kind of wrap up here, where do you see this form in the next five to 10 years and the creamery itself? Where do, where do you see that going? It's kind of scary, I guess, because uh, some of the experts will say that in 10 years, there'll be none of these farms. They'll all be gone. Uh, wow, we hope not. Huh? We hope not. You know, they say that. But I mean, you, you have the consumer out there that wants to buy local, but the whole system is geared to almost prevent them from buying local. It seems like you're bucking the trend here. I mean, with your creamery and your, yeah. the, you're really doing a lot of great things. Yeah. In, in, in Wayne County. And yeah, it's kind of a joke that there will be the last farm in Wayne County. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you're always here and I hope the rest of the farms are always here too, Bill. But thanks for being with us today. You were great mm. to provide us this time and to host us, which we really appreciate. And this is the third part of our three-part series in farming in the Pocono Mountains. Farming that you really didn't think you'd expect to find here but it is here. Uh, this is a dairy farm, which is different than the other two folks that we talked to. They have a creamery on site, artisan cheeses, which are amazing, that are sold in many big cities throughout the Northeast. So for Bill, I'm Chris Barrett for PTN, the Pocono Television Network. You've been watching Pocono Perspectives, and as always, thanks for watching. Highland Farm and Calkins Creamery. You can find their cheeses at grocery stores all around the tri-state area. And you can learn more about the farm at our website, PoconoMountains.com. For a warm welcome and refreshing wine, Three Hammers Winery really delivers. The hops at Second District Brew Farm are grown right here. At Insurrection Distillery, you'll get a big city feel in our small town setting. Your trail awaits you. Make it whatever you want. Wineries, breweries, or distilleries. I've always wanted to craft a trail. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> Visit PoconoBeverageTrail.com. We're back. Thanks for listening to Pocono Mountains Podcast. I'm Jim Hamill. Recently, Diana Fontanez got a cooking class with Chef Lindsay at Pocono Organics, taking ingredients right from the farm and putting them into the finished product in the kitchen. Enjoy. from PTN and I'm here at Pocono Organics, one of the largest regenerative organic certified farms in North America. I'm here to learn how to cook with some of the products they grow. Let's go check it out. I've always wanted to take a cooking class and who better to learn from than Food Network's Chop Champion and now Executive Chef, Lindsay McLean. Hey Lindsay, how are you today? Hi, welcome to Pocono Organics. So I've never taken a cooking class before and I'm super excited. What are you going to teach me today? We're going to be making a Lion's Mane barbecue burger. Ooh, a classic with a little organic twist. I like it. Okay. Should we go pick what we're going to use? Yeah, let's head back. All right. So these here are sunflower microgreens. So microgreens are three times as nutrient dense as regular vegetables or their vegetable counterpart. These are sunflower microgreens and we're gonna use them for the garnish of our burger today. Okay. You're just gonna hold the top like this. Okay. And then cut some of the stem off. Just and then, right at the stem? Right at the stem. Okay. And then we can put them here into our bowl. They really add a nice crunch to your uh, to the sandwich. And they're really great for smoothies too. It's a really nice way to sneak some nutrition into your, into I do your love diet. I nutrition, any way I can get it. Yeah. <laughs> 
So since you mentioned we're gonna do a lion's mane burger, I'm interested to see the mushroom room. Yeah, so this is where um, our mushrooms um, begin. This is actually a substrate. Um, it's just wood pellets, the same that you would use in a wood stove. So we start our mycelium in the substrate. Once they're fully white and have gone through their inoculation, then they'll go to our fruiting chamber. And that's where they'll start to grow out of the bag. We just slid a hole in the side of the bag and then the mushrooms just start to grow out. My taki, oyster, lion's mane, which we'll be making our burgers out of today. So this is kind of what it comes to look like after. Once they're large enough, they'll harvest and they look like these big pom-poms, um, which I had never even seen oh, these wow. mushrooms I've before I came before here. Either. And they're really, really great for any kind of, um, you know, vegetable forward substitute. And this is the lion's mane. A lot of people use them for crab cakes and today we're gonna use them for a barbecue burger. Well, this is making me very excited. Let's get cooking. All right. Okay, so the first thing that we're gonna get started on is tearing the lion's mane mushrooms. Okay. So we'll take these mushrooms here and you'll see they're really soft. You can kind of just break them apart into one to two inch pieces. So the seasoning that we'll add today is a barbecue seasoning that I've made. It's got onion powder, garlic powder, smoked paprika, a little bit of chili flake, all the things that you would normally find in a barbecue sauce. And we're gonna drizzle them with a little bit of olive oil. Okay. Um, normally I'm really big on seasoning, seasoning, yeah, yeah. seasoning every I'm step the of the way. <laughs> um, but we don't need to season these because we're gonna put all the seasoning into our mix. So we're gonna put these in the oven at 350 degrees for 10 to 15 minutes. So now we've got our mushrooms, they're roasted off. You can see they just took on a little bit of color. They're nice yeah. and soft. Um, now we're gonna start pulsing them in a food processor. Really <laughs> <laughs> um, first we're gonna start with black beans and we're just gonna make them into a paste right here in a food processor. And then we're just gonna put this in real quick just to break those mushrooms up. So you can go ahead and add, uh, this is our salt and our barbecue seasoning. Yep, go ahead and add it in. Also gonna add some quinoa. Okay and then you can mix that all. Um, this is a little trick that I like to use to make things into patties, is to use two soup lids. Scoop this in, like that. And then I use the other lid, and I just kind of press down. Look at that. And then that makes I a really a <laughs> nice, neat patty. Just like that. So we're just gonna let those get a nice crispy sear on them. So you can see we're starting to get like a nice crust on the edge, so we're gonna come in and flip them. Ooh, that looks delicious. So we're gonna use some smoked Gouda, and I think that really helps bring in that barbecue flavor as well. So we can start plating these. So I'm just gonna put them right on our buns. I uh, like pickles and a mustard on okay. my burgers, so that's what I have here. Um, and then we have our microgreens. So this is a mustard aioli. It's the best of both worlds with mustard and mayonnaise. And then these are our house-made pickles. And then we can top this, like, like use this as a lettuce. This will be our crunch. So I love that we went from that to this. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah, I it's never a very interesting yeah, final product. Yeah, I never thought it was gonna look like this, but I'm excited to try it. Yeah, so let's cut these in half. Shall we try it, guys? Looks amazing. All right, yeah. cheers. cheers. <laughs> Wow, mm -hmm. that was really good. So if people want to come buy the vegetables to then make this at home or any other recipe, how do they go about that? So we actually have our CSA on promo right now. Um, it's $350, it's kind of like a buying club. So people can come in and shop 
um, and buy the vegetables that they want. Our CSA program is not a traditional program where you get a box and you take it home each week. You can come in each week and shop for the vegetables that you like. You can buy the microgreens, you can buy the lion's meat, and you can recreate this. And on what website or how can they check you out? Uh, PoconoOrganics.com. Okay, so you heard it. Check the website out. We're going to finish these burgers. Thanks for watching. Deanna Fontanez from Pocono Television Network. Farming and food with fresh locally grown ingredients and the agri-legacy of the northern Poconos. Major reasons why this region is a top spot for a culture of agriculture. We hope you enjoyed Pocono Mountains podcast. Please remember to subscribe anywhere podcasts are available. Come visit us in the Pocono Mountains. Plan your trip today.